Netflix went to Blockbuster, who at the time was the biggest retail um, DVD service, and they're they're like, hey, we have this really cool new technology um, that would make it easy for people to watch content. And you guys, you know, you're the biggest DVD provider. You have a lot of content. Buy us out, and you know, we'll make you even richer. Essentially, that's essentially that's not how negotiations went, but that's essentially how it was. And Blockbuster was like, no. They they just didn't see the value of streaming. Welcome to another episode of Young Entrepreneurs with the Green Roof Team. Today we have Prem Rana, one of the managers here at the Green Roof Team. How are you doing today, Prem? I'm chilling. I'm doing good. Sweet. So kicking off today's episode, we're going to be talking about a topic from The Entrepreneur of Mine, a book written by Kevin Johnson. And today's topic is focused around technology as an opportunity, not a threat. So I want to begin off with a quote. It comes from an author of another book called The Singularity is Near. And it goes along the lines of technology has always been important, but we're standing on the precipitant of an inflection point of human history. Technology is reaching to a point which he called the knee of the curve, a point in time in which exponential growth is taking off at near vertical slope and the pace of progression is accelerating. So it's a long quote, but to bottle it down, he's essentially talking about technology is moving at a rapid pace and it's moving quite fast. So does that ring any bells for you as we dive into today's episode? Yeah, actually, that's like a really topical like quote. And so like the example I give, it's a pretty popular example in computing. Um, there's this, it's called a law, but it's not really a law. It's called Moore's Law. And so the idea of Moore's Law is essentially um, the idea that every year will double the number of transistors on a like circuit or like piece of computing software. And so this was like created in the 50s, right? And so you know with that you know doubling every year you eventually get exponential growth right like the exponential growth that you mentioned um but we're getting to that point now where sort of technology i don't want to say is stagnating but it's getting harder to follow that exponential curve because technology is so advanced like if you look at the recent um iPhones, for example, right? The computing power is still growing, but it's not growing at that exponential um, path. It's the same with like graphics cards and computer or like CPUs. Um, that those power gains they're growing, but very minimally, I, I would say. So there's definitely like a stagnation point. I don't think we've peaked, and I, I hope we haven't peaked um, because that would that would be bad for business. Um, but Uh, I would say that we're reaching a point where it's becoming a lot of the improvements, at least in the computing side, have been much more software based than hardware based. And like, we're going to probably reach a point where um, most of the research development is going to be focused in like optimizing, um, like optimizing code and optimizing software to be like super efficient with, you know, the maximum resources that we get that is until you know we like start mining minerals in space and then find some crazy like um some some crazy material that just quadruples our our power um whatever (laughs) 
Nice. Yeah, so do you think right now <clears throat> that stagnation is coming from the hardware side, not being able to keep up, so we need to find the solutions on the software side instead? I don't necessarily think it's like hardware not able to keep up. Like I think like when you say not able to keep up, it kind of implies that there's like a thing that's beating it. Um, but hardware is not necessarily the bottleneck in like improvements. Um, you know, because it, like hardware and software are very hand in hand, and software has very much kept up with hardware. So I don't want to say it's like the hardware is not keeping up. It's more of it's going at its own pace and that pace is just not at the same pace as before um but like ha- like hardware definitely has i still think it has a little bit ways to go like i think these companies um you know and i'm talking more in the computing base but if we you know dial it to energy like renewable energy and uh, we'll go with like the wind, for example, and I'll use hardware as like the type of blades that are being made and type of turbines that are being made. Uh, you know, I just, we, I think we posted about this, um, but there's a turbine that's bladeless that I think was producing um, like 50% more energy or is like way more efficient and also fairly cost effective. And so that's like a hard, that's a big hardware improvement. Um, but, you know, like, Vertical blades, yeah, I think vertical blades is turn. Yeah, vertical blades, I think most of those improvements have been just adding more and figuring out how to optimize the power generated from more, but it's not necessarily improving like the actual design of the blade, you know? Where, like there's been a lot of development in horizontal blades. Um, you know, we've done some of that ourselves, but uh, I would say like in terms of that part, that that hardware is very much it, at least from what i've read stagnating somewhat um and so a lot of it now is if we're on the energy side the software would be how to uh, utilize that energy that's being generated by those to the most capacity you know if like a blade is spinning x amount of times how do we get 100 percent of that power from it and maybe that's not a software thing maybe that is a hardware thing but no uh, actually I, it is a bit of a software also um because you can only do so much on the hardware side. The blades, based on your manufacturing methods, can only be so long. So now a lot of companies are actually looking at <clears throat> when that power comes in, how can you move it as effectively and as efficiently as possible? Um, mostly on the storage side. So how much can you store at a time compared to send off, say, into the grid? Because the more you move it, the more you lose um, due to all of the different um, just like physics stuff right like losses because you can't you can't just transfer power you know instantly it has to go through whatever pipes or not pipes pipes is the wrong word but like wires and stuff right and there's always forces in play that just hold up some of that power um but you make it sound like that's not as much of a bottleneck like the biggest bottleneck is storage does that sound accurate from you i would say right now in the world that's the biggest bottleneck um, mainly because we have the large grid infrastructure. It's not perfect by any means. But if you can create, say, more microgrids all across and you can store it without it traveling as far because you lose X amount for every, like, say, meter you travel across. Mm-hmm. So if you're traveling across the country, you're going to lose a lot of energy that way. But if you instead store at different points, you can keep, you can avoid losing as much. 
Okay. So then, okay, I'm going to kind of turn this on you, but like, um, talking from a, you know, the point of today is like uh, taking, making the most out of technology, right? And so if storage is, let's say, you know, some of the bottlenecks, do you think if we were to figure out storage that we would see technological improvements beyond, you know, just the renewable energy thing? Like, do you think that would help propel maybe other sectors? I'm not too sure about other sectors. I do know in terms of like energy efficiency, it's getting increased significantly um, because you know, the issue with solar is it's intermittent. So if you don't have sun, you don't have solar power. Same thing on the wind side. If you don't have wind, you can't generate power. But with that storage side, if you can generate and be able to store when you're at say peak demand, and even though you're not using it, you can store it instead and use it during those times where you don't where you're not producing essentially usually at night yeah and like the way i um sorry i don't mean to interrupt but like the way this is like you know way out there i don't even know if it's feasible right but you know that this idea of like a solar car right a car that can be powered entirely off of solar energy so obviously that's not feasible right now because the sun doesn't produce enough energy to you know power that car the electronics and make it move forward um, but like hypothetically with, you know, solar batteries where your car, your car is, it's either charging through like an outlet or it's just generate passive power through the sun being out there. And then we're storing, we're able to efficiently store that then hypothetically something like that could be possible. And there's obviously a lot of logistics, but at least on a high level, that seems like it can be, um, it could be a big opportunity. Oh, definitely it is. And I know. Um, and trend nowadays is people living out of vans. So they'll have solar on top of their van um, so then they can use that power during the day. But then at the same time, I believe most of the vans are combustion anyways, but it's that additional source they can pull from at the same time. So I don't definitely I don't believe right now it's feasible to have a car completely solar off-grid, but having it be able to generate passively is possible and it can be used in many different ways at the same time. Um, I do want to jump back into computing for a bit um, okay. because I know like taking a look at our history in terms of society over the last two, three hundred years, we had a couple like major like technical revolutions, like, you know, the industrial and then the more agricultural. And now we're in that digital revolution. So in there, um, do you um, like have an understanding, like know about what I'm talking about, like when I say digital revolution. Yeah, so, sort of. Um, I mean, you could, so if we look at sort of the past, let's go two decades, right? Um, going right after, yeah, right into the beginning of the new millennia, um, we have sort of like phones are around, but they're um, still very much landmines. I think. I think pocket phones were just starting to become a thing. Um, computers were or like, I think at that point, computing had been more personalized. The laptops were still pretty bulky. Um, and then as you look over the past decade, right, we get really small phones that then become bigger, but they still fit in your pocket. Um, and then those phones have the power, like our phones today have the power of our computers from, you know, the early millennia 2000. So, you know, that's a big revolution um and then uh, like 
the touchscreen is it's a, a really small detail but that's like impacted a lot of our a lot of our devices right you look at cars which you would never think would get touchscreens um like or like have been part of the digital revolution but now all of those have electronics of some sort um obviously phones laptops um you know you have essentially like the big thing in a digital revolution is these new interfaces for people to like interact with one another you know on a like with a phone you have these abilities to call one another to message one another and then also to you know use applications to communicate with one another and then the phone like with the touch screen allows you to like interact with one another in unique ways then you have like interaction with cars you have these like big touch screen displays like there's this um thing that you and me did it's it's in a few different places but i'll reference the one in london because that's what we did it's called immersive game box and so essentially it's and this is not an ad by the way um but essentially what it is is this is like these four four walls around you all touchscreen and it's a giant game right so that's like that interaction part um and like i'm matching this because i think a revolution sort of is really changing the status quo and a lot of I think the status quo was, you know, the the way we communicated and the way we interacted with each other was very much different than we do now. Now it's like we're doing this podcast remotely. That's that was not feasible 20 years ago, um, or, or is it very difficult to do 20 years ago? Um, and so things like that, I, I would say definitely like the like the digital revolution, like you could easily define this era as the digital revolution, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't agree more that social connectivity, communication speeds, and just being able to work so versatile completely changed the game, was a giant disruptor. Um, doing a little research, they name like the four main stages in this digital revolution okay. can be broken down into data processing personal computing, network computing, and now cloud computing. Okay, that's interesting. Um, so like those are those are the four parts that are pushing the digital revolution or the four eras? I believe the eras within the revolution. Okay, that's interesting. I would consider those more like parts that are like they're each different sectors that are pushing the um like digital revolution um i don't think there's one specific era because things kind of happened um really fast in conjunction you know like the computer computing becomes more personalized it becomes more a household thing you go from desktop computers to then laptops now that computing is powerful enough oh we can fit in our pocket so now we have the phone oh the phone uh, you know, it's powerful and us now more people have access to computing. Okay, what can we do to, you know, connect more of these people? Social media comes in. Hey, now more information is being spread. Now we need to uh, store all that information somewhere. Let's improve storage a lot, so on and so forth. Um, I would say those four eras are definitely, like not eras, but four parts are really important, but I wouldn't necessarily say there are specific eras because there's not like one part where, um, you know, w- like, data was like pushing forward everything and the cloud computing was pushing forward everything um because like 
cloud computing is a real i don't want to say it's a new term because it's not really but people think it's new um cloud computing has existed since like 2005 probably earlier i mentioned 2005 because that's when amazon was founded and you know amazon's like the bookstore right at first and most people know that but most people don't know that in conjunction with that he was the uh, jeff Bezos was also working on aws and like um the amazon web service uh and like that cloud computing like they were the first really i okay i don't want to say they were the first but they were the first to really mainstream it um and make it easy for people to get into cloud computing and that's when the cloud computing like um i'm gonna use bubble but it's not like a bubble like the fad that's when it really like skyrocketed um but like that's been around since 2005 and data processing data processing has always been around since like the invention of the computers i would say because you need somewhere to store those numbers and so that's always been um ever-changing networking you know you can argue then like the growth of the internet that's like a a phase but communication has always existed from like the telephone to um you know fax machines and such and then now you you're communicating via video and, and all that stuff so like I, I guess I wouldn't call them eras, but there's definitely different like parts uh, and uh, it's not necessarily, uh, not necessarily constricted to a time frame, but more of all these things happening in parallel, which have really pushed some like crazy things. Like, you know, if networking was not in the place to where it's wireless, if data processing wasn't, um, able to be condensed down if like electronics weren't and processing power as a whole weren't able to be condensed down um then we probably wouldn't have the iphone and then smartphones maybe not um like that trajectory doesn't happen so like it's all these things happening at once and then the perfect opportunity and the perfect group of people to know how to utilize all three of those things um then that creates one product which then pushes the entire thing forward etc cetera, etc cetera. I'm, I'm using the iphone as an example but it's happened with multiple different things you know like tesla and electric cars they weren't the first to do it obviously but they were the first like main mainstream in and make it like um a popular thing to do electric vehicles and now almost most companies i think are doing electric vehicles except on the i'm sure they're working on it but I like I wanted to get a Honda electric vehicle um last year they don't have it available. Makes me really sad. That was a long rant, but not kind of yeah. No, but it was great. You covered a lot. Um one thing I did want to dive more into your rant was what is AWS? Okay, yeah. So AWS, and this is something I'm really familiar with because it's actually part of my day job. Um so Amazon Web Services essentially is Think of it like a server hosting website um, where there's all these different things. Like you you have a computer and your computer can power certain things, right? So on that computer, let's say you want to play a game like Fortnite, right? Now your computer, it might be um, like your computer might be able to handle Fortnite, but try putting Fortnite on a tiny computer like a Raspberry Pi, right? That's not possible. Now imagine Fortnite becomes twice as possible like twice as powerful it needs like quadruple the requirements that you're able to do it that you're able to um, power you can't do that yourself um and so now you need bigger computer and bigger processing to be able to just play fortnite um that's a 
weird metaphor, but that's essentially what AWS is. is AWS is moving the processing power away from you onto like this cloud, right? And cloud is, you know, a very vague term, but essentially it's virtual, it's like a virtual processing. And so AWS has a lot of different um, services. Um, the big one being, uh, they call it like simple service, storage service or something like that. It's called S3. Um, and that allows you to just store files on the cloud. Really simple, like Google Drive, right? But um, it's really unique because it interfaces with a lot of different, um, a lot of different technologies. And I think S3 was one of the first cloud storages, so that's why it's still very popular. Um, another big one is electric co capacity computing. EC2 is what it's called, and that's essentially like you know a virtualized computer. And so the reason why like. I'm listing specific services, but to go back high level, a reason why AWS is so popular, you know, you'll see an NFL next gen stats powered by AWS. The reason why it's so popular is because since it's virtual, you can I, you can essentially have uh, unlimited resources, and that's not uh, unlimited is like not you can't have infinite resources, but it's very possible to have like a lot more power than you could initially, and so. You know, for let's say you have a big um, a big math problem, right? And so by yourself, like in your head, it would take you know decades. On a computer, it might take years. Like your personal computer in AWS, it could take thirty minutes. That's like the type of power that we get with AWS, and that's like that's not just AWS. It's Microsoft Azure, Google Cloud, all these different like cloud platforms. They essentially allow. Um, processing to be moved into the cloud and um, it's really powerful because you can sort of automate like w in our job we use it to automate collecting data and doing processing on it um, and that's you know that's something that we can't do with a single computer and it also allows more people to get their hands on it um, like we have a team that works on you know processing all that data um, like creating all that code and they're able to get their hands on the code and so on and so forth. So I, I would say that's like a high level overview of AWS. I'm sure, sure there's a lot of stuff I miss. And if any AWS like gurus are listening to this, they're probably gonna hurt me. But that's that's essentially at a high level, it's pretty much moving your power away from like your processing needs away from um, local to the cloud and being able to like process and store that data um so that way you can you know instead of having to worry about these technological restrictions um that uh, on like one machine you can just keep creating cool stuff so basically <clears throat> you're empowering individuals to do processing and and to do processing remotely with more power Yes, essentially. And it, that's not just like AWS. That's a lot of cloud platforms um, in general. I kind of described cloud computing in general rather than AWS. Um, like AWS has a few specific things, which I don't really want to dive into because it's, it's a little bit more technical. Um, but it is uh, like AWS was one of the, the bigger ones and is one of the first ones to really mainstream it. So that's why it's very popular. Nice. Okay. Um. So now continuing the conversation, would you like to take a pivot into more 
the entrepreneurial side of how technology can be an opportunity instead of a threat? Yeah, uh, I mean, just like right off the bat, like the biggest example, I think the the, the book mentions it, but I'll mention it again, is Netflix. Um, and they don't mention it in the book, but one thing that's really obvious is uh, Blockbuster, right? So Blockbuster, well, well, from a technological standpoint, Blockbuster um, had the opportunity to buy Netflix. And for those who are unaware of the story, Netflix at the time, um, before they became streaming, they were actually mail in DVD service. I know because my family actually used to do the mail in DVD service where you would order a DVD online and then you could have it mailed to you. And I don't, I think like there's no late fees, which that's what people hated about Blockbuster is the late fees, but there were no late fees. Um, it was just like you ordered the movie and then you can't order any once until you're done with that, but then you return it and you can get a new one. Um, and so like then they developed the streaming technology which is now what netflix is known for um and so that was a big pivot for them and block like netflix went to blockbuster who at the time was the biggest retail um dvd service and they're they're like hey we have this really cool new technology um that would make it easy for people to watch content and you guys you know you're the biggest dvd provider you have a lot of content work buy us out and you know we'll make you even richer essentially that's a, essentially that's not how negotiations went but that's essentially how it was and blockbuster was like no they they just didn't see the value of streaming which you know looking back we could be like wow blockbuster was really stupid um but it like at the time it definitely was considered a risk because you know it's like are people really going with streaming you need a lot of at the time you need a lot of resources netflix wasn't very optimized like you needed good internet and even then like how you have to then move these dvds onto the you know a website to store it's a storage cost were an issue so like from blockbuster's perspective there's that risk re reward um and then so that comes down to them they didn't see that like opportunity where you know there's obviously risk with opportunities with new technology any, any new technology um but they chose to look more at the like they chose to play it safe essentially and that's what like with any new technology there's always going to be pros and cons and most businesses, you know, if you look at the general business landscape, I feel like um, play it safe. You know, that's why you have like startups, I think, are the one pushing the the innovation forward. And then they just get bit, bought out by big companies. And so, right, like that's why I think like, well, that's kind of what happened to Blockbuster where they essentially played it safe. And so they lost out on streaming, which like looking back, we can point and laugh at them, but um, it's it's definitely like, like uh, we're using the word opportunity, um, but uh, oftentimes when we see opportunity, it's very much people forget about the the cons of it. And it, that's why I, I think technology, like when you, see a new technology it's very it's not like a full 100 percent commit in because if you're 
and blockbuster was so grounded in like the retail space that then jumping into streaming which is such it's still in their space with such a big pivot that makes it very uh like it's definitely a risk uh, i would say but I make it sound like I'm defending Blockbuster. I'm not, but I'm just kind of playing a little bit of devil's advocate here, I would say. Yeah, definitely, like, from their perspective, like, taking such a big pivot, that could have been their demise instead of adapting. Um, I feel like, based on what you're saying, it kind of comes down and bottles up into adapt or die type of mentality. Yes, but I don't want it to be, like, whenever you see a new technology, you want to adapt. And so... uh, I'll make my stance clear in that I think new pushing technology, like new technology is very good. But the example I'll give here is like this whole cryptocurrency thing, or just like, it's like the issue is that it's a very new technology and the potential is there um, for it to revolutionize a few different things. but there's also a lot of downsides with it. And we're still in that phase where, um, you know, adoption is very, um, like adoption for it is not like the strongest. Uh, there's like many swings with it. So it's very volatile, right? Um, and that was the same with streaming back then, right? Where it, it's this big thing, but it's very volatile and, you know, the, um, platform isn't there yet and i'm gonna go back and change my thing from crypto to um, like virtual reality that's a much better example where it's this you know big platform that can really connect people but it's not very adopted yet and so you know you see facebook trying to go all in on it they're adapting to it right but many people aren't really sold on it yet you know this idea of like virtual reality being the big thing um, and so that's like a perfect example where many, like many business leaders might say, oh, virtual reality, let's use that as an opportunity or, um, you know, like, or it, I'm trying to think of the other word, but like, let's go full all in on virtual reality. But, you know, it's, it's difficult, at, like people haven't bought in on it yet. And then, you know, if you're too late to it, you're too late. And at who knows maybe 10 years down the line like virtual reality is the way to go and then i sound you know like i'm the one that's playing it, like i sound like playing it safe but i think that they're like technology is really useful when it's moved forward but there's still a lot of negatives that you have to consider and that thing it's not always you can't always just go all in on the um newest and greatest yeah, definitely like hundreds of thousands of businesses probably open up diving into some kind of emerging tech. They all, they get the funding, but not all of them will fall through, full, um, follow through. Like think about EVs, took a while for it to get up to speed, but then you have a company like a Tesla who really makes a big push, goes all in, nearly failed, was probably in debt at a lot of points, but then finally came out and actually made it come through and now once they got it through, so many other companies figured out how to do it on their own also. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, one of the, one of the other points I'm bringing up is this idea of accessible technology. Um, so I'll use, um, like I'll use phones as an example. When the um, first like iPhone came out, people kind of laughed at it because it was such a radical different 
design and um you know most analysts were like this is too different it's gonna fail because it required such a radical change of the user base but the thing is it like it made things more accessible and then it opened up its own ecosystem and so like the reason i'm bringing it up is because this is what virtual reality is doing um but we're not seeing the same kind of enthusiasm for it and i think it's just because of it's not like accessible yet like the phone became it, it was like the smartphone quote unquote and i think i'm using this wrong but like not the smartphone but social media we'll go with that the social media was became way more accessible because of the phone and with virtual reality it's not as accessible because people just don't have the equipment for it but if people were able to get that in their hands they would like so many people i think would interact with each other online and that's such a game changer to do things that you can't do in real life like um you know you can you can explore the uh, the ocean with, with virtual reality uh, things like that um but it's just not accessible and so like accessible technology i think to me that's like the determining factor of if that's an opportunity worth taking because if you can create something that is easy to get in people's hands then that's going to skyrocket like that's just a fact because i think most technologies that people create are really cool and the concepts of them are really cool it's just you can't it's not getting in people's hands and so people aren't able to try it and a lot of these technologies rely on people they rely on a lot of people you know using it so you know the more accessible things are then i think that's an opportunity like that's worth taking cool so <clears throat> as we come towards the end of today's episode prem if you had to bottle up maybe three five key points of why a company should go after a new technology new company go after a new technology like it being accessible what would you bottle it down to yeah so i think kind of the three key factors that really would define maybe a technology that's worth going after um first of all we de you definitely have to keep an open mind about technology and i think sort of this book um I i've kind of left it unsaid but this book uh sort of push the idea that a lot of business leaders don't even consider the uh, option uh, of like pursuing new technologies. And that's why I think they fail. You know, if you're not open-minded to these new technologies, then you're stagnating. And I think that perception has changed. Like I think that has definitely changed, but definitely keeping an open mind is one part of, one part of that, of, uh, you know, recognizing if this is something worth investigating um, and uh, even just investigating it a little bit that's one way of choosing whether if it's opportunity worth going forward and then sort of from there recognizing sort of the key parts of it you know is it accessible can we make it work with sort of our business model um, how will this really change things and then from there you know once you've done the assessments then you know, at that point, you've got nothing to lose. You're either in or you're not. Um, and so that kind of, I would say, I would say that's it bottled up. This sort of keeping the open mind of it and investigate it a little bit, do the analysis, then understand how it applies to maybe your business, and then um, decide if you're 
in or not. And then once you're in, you know, really, really commit to it. I I wouldn't say have like go halfy on it because once you're in and you found this game changing technology, if you're able to really fully commit to that, then you can be a, be a, a leader, you know, and that's what every business wants. It's to be a leader. Definitely be a leader, be an early adopter, um, be early on that curve, because if you're late, you're late. There's no way of coming back from there. Right. Cool. Yeah. Well, Prem, thank you again for jumping onto the show today. Um, for everyone listening today, definitely take a look at the description um, for the episode. You'll find a few different links. If you want to learn more about what we do here at the Green Roof team, you can look us up on social media and on our website. And tune back in for more episodes on young entrepreneurs focusing on topics surrounding technologies and entrepreneurship. And remember, folks, stay sustainable.